Walt Disney. Yes. Beloved, beloved figure of our of our pop culture. That's how they get you. Yada, yada yada. She eventually causes her own husband to be burned to death. And that makes me so happy on cold nights. It especially ended badly for the idiot Peckerwoods. Have a bottle oh, of wow. scotch. Okay, that's twice that he's mentioned redheads. <laughs> it is un-American to get in the way of our freedom to restrict people's freedoms. That was the point. Okay. Title. Yeah. Okay. But, I know plenty about but, these things. But, I love me some Bobby Drake. Yeah, well, yeah, if that's flame, all we've got, then we're darts. being really lazy. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all bone. You can literally poke a hole in it as soon as someone gets pneumonia. Well, I'm yeah, not as old as you. Well, haha, motherfucker, I got a wizard. This is a geek history of time. Where we connect nerdery to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a history teacher, uh, currently on contractual unemployment until August, uh, here in Northern California. Uh, and um, you may, uh, on on my end of this recording, you may hear noise in the background. That is a fan blowing right now, uh, because uh, every year the air conditioning in my apartment goes out during the summer, and this is apparently the weekend during which that's going to happen this year. So I'm going to apologize to all of you ahead of time for the steady droning you may or may not pick up in the background. And now that I've said that, who the heck are you, sir, on the other end of this virtual connection? I am Damien Harmony. I am a Latin teacher, uh, also on forced unemployment layoff status. Uh, so for the two months that everybody thinks that we just get off for free, no, we just stretch 12 months of or 10 months of pay over 12. So it's yep. like silly putty. It sags in the middle. Uh, I don't have air conditioning <laughs> issues, uh, thankfully, um, but... Uh, but you might hear my dog getting up and, uh, and necessitating a, a quick break as he is starting to get more active at night, which is actually kind of a good thing. So, Okay. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. Hey, I have a question for you. Okay. What, what was your favorite comic in the comic strips and the funny pages growing up? Oh, man. Besides Mark um, Trail. Obviously, besides Mark Trail. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean duh, obviously, yeah. Mark Trail. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I liked a bunch of them. Um, now, I mean, it'll depend on kind of what phase of life you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, cause by the time I got, when I was in college and then immediately post college, I was a really big fan of zit. I'm going to say, because it was a really I'm gonna say good pre puberty pre. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> well, I'm enough of a basic bitch that, that like as a, as a kid, I thought mm -hmm. Garfield was hysterically funny. Um, I'm ashamed of myself to admit that now, but my kid, um, my son is super into Garfield too. So okay, All although right. we, I've, I've, here. I've guided him toward others, quite honestly. Well, yeah, because yeah. you're a man of actual taste and distinction. So yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, I, I, I was a big fan of Calvin and Hobbes, mm -hmm. uh, and and I had a soft spot. Uh, in my heart, I, I always got a kick out of as a nerd, particularly, mm -hmm. I always got a kick out of the far side mm -hmm. and Bloom County, Bloom County, Bloom County, Damn, Bloom dude. Huge. I love Bloom County. I didn't get the thing is, as a kid, I didn't get any of the political stuff. Sure. Because it just all that kind of went over my head. I just thought it was like way out there and like uh -huh. weird and crazy and funny. Uh -huh. and, and, and then as an adult, I went back and read a bunch of it and like, well, Steve Dallas is a prick. <laughs> like, like, oh my God. Okay. 
Um, so yeah, but those those would be the big ones. Well, it's funny that you would bring up the far side because uh, that's what we're here to talk about today. Oh, awesome! Yeah, um, and it's uh, this this episode is titled "The Far Side of Absurd Governments." Okay, I think we're the thesis is in the title. Pointy headed here. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I'm down for it. On Christmas Eve, two thousand nineteen, the Far Side finally stepped into the digital world. Uh, the website opened, and just shy of 25 years after Gary Larson's final uh, column, final cartoon, calling it quits, um, and everyone from Gen X likely rejoiced, said a hymn of their favorite captions, and then tried to push a door that said pull or put on socks and run around a kitchen table. Wax and wolves were optional. Yeah. I No. No. Yeah. No. Wax and wolves are not optional. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. I, uh, I Go pick have... a I have said for years that the far side absolutely lends itself to a mobile app and I would gladly pay, you know, a buck 99 a month subscription. Um, no one has heard me yet. Unfortunately, I think it's a wonderful way for Gary Larson to get passive income on property. He's already created. Um, but yeah, I, I, I gotta tell you, yeah. I'd pay more than a buck 99. Like I, it, yeah, I, I, I totally, I totally get mm-hmm. what you're, what you're, t- what you're saying, and yeah. I totally agree. I, yeah. I just, I think you're, I think you're lowballing, which is a great negotiation tactic. I'm not gonna yeah. lie, yeah. but well, and also I yeah, have okay. all of the far sides at home, like the entire treasury. <laughs> so and I would only pay a buck ninety nine. Buck ninety nine. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because right. I'd have it with me, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, growing up. I loved the far side. I used to sit there with the books that my mom and dad had, and they were like these long ways books. They were only this the 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 height was only roughly that of a panel. Um, yeah, and I would just pour through them. And some of them were over my head, other ones less so, but they were all very familiar to me. Um, rounded people, anthropomorphized animals, a single panel, self-contained, simple little absurd comics, and there was literally nothing like them. Um, you had Marmaduke and Family Circus as single panels, but they were boring as shit. Um, <laughs> you tell us, tell us what you really think, David. <laughs> Don't hold back. Yeah. Don't um, sugarcoat it. Yeah. <laughs> BC and Garfield were quickly waning in humor by the time I hit about eight. Um, the Lockhorns were basically the same abusive joke over and over again. Uh, Calvin and Hobbes was wonderful and subtle and clever, but it was long and it relied too much on knowing what had already happened. Uh, For better or for worse, had the same problem and it was even less subversive than Calvin and Hobbes was. Kathy and Doonesbury were way over my head, way too far, and fuck Mark Trail. Uh, If I see him, (laughs) I'm going to kick his ass off the goddamn mountain. Uh, and, And for what it's worth, Sally Worth, you can catch these hands too, baby. Um, okay, but the, right. but the far side that shit was evergreen. It was timeless. It was brilliant. It was elegant in the scientific term elegance, where something so simple accounts for so much. They were self-contained stories, and if I didn't get it tomorrow, there's another one. Um, I didn't have to worry about remembering anything because the lady with the beehive and the the horn rim glasses, she's going to be a different lady next time anyway. You know, there were no recurring characters. It was really nice. Yeah. 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 Now, as an adult, I'm 42 years old and it came back. And that's awesome. Like it is back as of January of of this year. Um, uh, But then, of course, my brain starts grinding because that was essentially the impetus of our 
podcast together is we started noticing certain things that keep recurring over time. You know, just recently yeah. I did an episode yeah. of uh, The Twilight Zone. You also have taken on Battlestar Galactica or Orcs yeah. Over Time. All of this. Yeah. All of this has happened before. Right. And all of this will happen again. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so to to use one of those examples mm-hmm. as the, you know, tagline for all of this. Yeah. Yeah. So uh so I started thinking like, well, what does it say about right now that the far side is coming back? Uh what's the same now <laughs> as was the same in January of nineteen eighty? Um um, the world has gone completely bug fuck nuts again. So yes, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what's the same because well, yeah. okay, All or, right. or so, Gary Larson, so, Larson likes round numbers. Well, you know that yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, you know, forty years is a nice, you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing. But I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I'm trying to think. So 1980, mm-hmm. we have an uh, Olympics we don't attend. Good. That we sit out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, the other superpower. We're watching the other superpower uh, start getting their asses kicked uh, in in a war against a third rate group of tribal people in in the mountains of, of Central Asia. Yes. Um, which like nobody saw coming. No. Like like <laughs> you know everybody's like oh yeah okay well if the Soviets are rolling in they're like they're fucking done and yep. then. Uh, no, wait. Um, didn't didn't we have the same problem in Vietnam? Like, yeah. shouldn't we have seen this coming? I like but, to think that they just felt left you know, out and wanted their own Vietnam. Yeah, well, you said that before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. It's like, well, you know, hey, 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 we want to have our imperial failure too. Yeah, we're big wait. boys. We can do this. Yeah, you know? yeah, we, yeah, <laughs> you know, the Italians, the Italians had um, Ethiopia. Ethiopia, mm-hmm. we had Vietnam. Yep, you know, <laughs> and you know, and and they had Afghanistan, and yeah. now and now we have Afghanistan too. Yeah, well, uh, again, we don't want to be left uh, out either. So, well, it's like a debutante but, coming out party. <laughs> like you know, you've made it to empire when you're ready to collapse. Wow, <laughs> you know that's that's actually. That's that's like you're throwing that out there as a bon mot, but that's actually remarkably pithy and yeah. and and well elegant. Thank you. It's, Thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, what I, else I really is going on in 1980? Pedagogy for your world history, kids. Um, yeah, yeah. Because that's because that's brilliant. Yeah. So let's see. Uh, 1980. Mm-hmm. 1980. Um, <sighs> Afghanistan. We don't go to the Olympics because of Afghanistan. Reagan gets elected. Mm-hmm. Well, he's he's in, that, in, in that, January. In fall. Yeah, in January of eighty, primaries are still happening. Yeah, he's still but running. He's running. Mm-hmm. So Carter. So Carter's in the White House. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have been through now two gas crises. There's mm-hmm. a recession on. Iran <sighs> is doing its thing. Like we mm-hmm. have hostages in Iran. Oh yeah, our yeah, people are hostages. Yeah. We, we we literally the most powerful nation in the world have a bunch of hostages being held that mm-hmm. we can't seem to do anything to get them back. Well, we were unwilling uh, to. Let's be fair. Like uh, Carter never fired a bullet, never dropped a bomb. One of the reasons why is because there was a sandstorm uh, that that stopped his one attempt to do so, and he was trying to go through diplomacy. 
Oh yeah, well, and and we could, at some point, I'm going to need to try to find a way to match that mission up to something in pop culture because there's actually an awful lot of shit that went wrong. It wasn't just a sandstorm. True, true. Uh, there was there was fuel staging. I mean that that whole operation was yeah. was a complete uh, snafu, uh, like from the get go. And um, interestingly, Ross Perot actually had a successful version of it. So I bet you there's meat on that bone of private. Yeah, oh, that's Ghostbusters. Some, there you go. Oh, there you go. Okay. Private enterprise solving the problems private that the EPA cannot. Yeah. The EPA can't do you. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> this man has no dick. Right. Um, <laughs> until dickless here. Right. Wait, wait, wait. I'm going to get you, Vince. Yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's 1980. Okay. Any other fun 19, stuff you want yeah, to mention? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, Energy that's Crisis. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. that's an awful lot of stuff. Okay. Um, so yeah, we we here's here's what what it all to tie it all up in a nice in a nice big fat bow. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we as a as a society were suddenly having to grapple with the limitations of our uh, hegemonic position. Like, we were the most powerful nation in the world, mm-hmm. but there was all this other shit we couldn't do anything about because we were just powerless. And so, or we or we felt powerless, or we were making choices that made us powerless, or whatever. For, for ordinary folks, it felt like we're the most powerful country in the world, but, like, we can't stop the universe shitting on us. Well, yeah, it's like we we are so powerful that we draw all the water, but actually it turns out if you punch us in the nose, we don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. no, totally. That makes sense. Well, yeah. so like any other time that I've I've asked the same question of why is this coming back or whatnot, I start looking at the conditions under which the art was made in the first place. Um, and so here are my findings. Here is my journey. Okay. Like with any story starting in 1980, we need to look back to a French symbolist playwright who was born in 1873, Alfred Jerry. Okay. I mean, I've said that time after time, really. (laughs) Just, you know. No, you've said, if if you fall, I will catch you. I will be waiting. (laughs) God damn it. That was good. Well done. Well done. Uh, the student <laughs> has become the master. <laughs> oh, goddamn. Yes, indeed. Oh. <laughs> well, okay, not really. That's that's all I got in me probably today. Hey, man, timestamp on that is about 1350 or so. So well done, sir. 63 yes. episodes and 13 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the bacteri- yes, the bacterial count has gone up enough that you have you also yeah, have been co-opted I, by this disease I, that I have. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> so, 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 like I no, tell no, actually, people at bars, yes, any story starting in 1980, you have to go back to French symbolist playwright Alfred Jerry, who was born in 1873. I mean, that's just common knowledge. Okay, you. Yeah. Th- this is why you haven't ever said this to me because we've never been in a bar together. Also, so, true. yeah. Okay, yeah. obviously. All right. This is this is okay. this is my so, game, as it were. Yes. So. Okay. So. And I mean, really, if you think about it, ladies, ladies, he's saying. Yeah. Yes. Now we know why. Yeah. 
So yeah, now like we've known. <laughs> yeah, well, I, yes. I, I, I hate, I hate to. We, we've all, we've all been trying to keep it on the down low, but we have all known. We don't, I don't know if you have. We but, don't actually you know. need to pin it on Alfred Jerry either. There, there are no, other no. systemic underlying issues. <laughs> yes. So. <laughs> so. Okay. So 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 now so now educate me uh-huh. because I'm a Philistine. Clearly. Okay. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, who who is who is Jerry? If you think about it, it, really, most of the things that I've talked about here stretch back to Alfred Jerry. Just some are more direct than others. All right. So, Alfred Jerry, and I'm gonna butcher French names because that's what a Latinist will do. Uh, Alfred Jerry was born in a town southwest of Paris in 1873 to an okay, alcoholic. Yeah. I'm going to quibble real fast. Okay. Latinists don't butcher French. French butchers Latin. Fair, but they're still alive. Okay. So I, I did yeah. that. So it's right, fine. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. So, so born, born to born some, to an alcoholic alcohol. salesman. Uh, okay. And a mother who loved literature and music and who had a genetic predisposition toward insanity. He had, I think a sister and uh, a grandparent who ended up in an asylum. Um, after she okay. left his father, uh, his mother moved them up to Brittany, France. So they went up to northern okay. France. Okay. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to pause you right there because I find it interesting that we're talking about mm-hmm. an artist. Yes. Who uh, had a very strong attachment to their mother. Mm-hmm. Had a father who was shiftless mm-hmm. in one way or another. Mm-hmm. In, in this case, alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And uh, who who had a mother figure who was adjacent to or or suffered from some level of, of mental illness. Yes. Um, this is this is sounding an awful lot like Robert E. Howard. Oh, I was going to say Adolf Hitler. <laughs> it, yeah, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you know. Mm-hmm. We talked we talked about Howard and, and how much he sounded like a futurist. So that's true. That's very yeah. true. And Jerry, go. Jerry is going to fit neatly in there without being that at all. Um, spoiler okay. alert. Yeah. Okay, so carry on. Alfred was decent at school. And at 15 years old, he co-wrote his first play with a classmate, poking fun at their obese physics teacher, whom they considered rather dim-witted. They used marionettes. And this is an important detail. They used marionettes to put the play on at a friend's house. Um, and uh, the physics teacher, whose name was Hebert or Herbert, um, mm-hmm. The marionette uh, was round, had three teeth, uh, a retractable ear, and other features that would later come to manifest in his most famous character. So, okay, yeah, even at fifteen, he'd written his most famous character already. He's just going to keep tumbling it over and over until it's polished. Um, in France, he wrote poems, and he was pretty good at it. By eighteen ninety-three, he was struck with influenza, though. Um, his mother and his sister nursed him back to health, and then his mother got it and died. Oh, that's not going to fuck him up at all. Not at all. Uh, two years no. later, his estranged father died, um, and Alfred okay. got an inheritance, and he spent it as quickly as he could, uh, marrying the best of both family predilections, becoming an alcoholic with questionable sanity. All right. You know, like you do. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, like all good French alcoholics under five feet tall, he was drafted into the army. Okay, wait. Back up. <laughs> back up. Back sure. up. Back the truck up. Sure, okay. sure. Yeah. So I, I feel like you buried the lead here. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Sure. Hold on. Okay. For, Most of this for, episode for... is about short Frenchmen, by the way. <laughs> like, there's at least three oh. of them. Toulouse-Lautrec? 
No, actually. Although I think I do bring him up. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Like, if you're talking about short Frenchmen, you'd have to. But hold on. Uh, Sure. (laughs) Hold on. You're telling me. Uh Uh-huh. This 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 frog was was under five feet tall. Yep. Okay. As a short guy, mm-hmm. this would have had my buy-in like way higher, like <laughs> from from word one. Okay. So yeah. so he's un- he's under five feet tall. Yes. He's a confirmed alcoholic. Yes. And now, did he join the army or no. was he drafted? He was drafted. Okay, because this is the 1890s. Yep. And, okay. All right. Everybody's, okay. Yeah. So, so, so somehow <laughs> that didn't get him the whatever the French equivalent is was of four F. No. No. Like. Yeah. Because. Like, um, what did you have to do to get medically disqualified? I like, don't know. I mean, being a drunk is not a medical cow. disqualification, and being short uh, isn't okay. either. Uh, You'd think that being under five feet tall might be. It would actually be an advantage. You could be the guy who's running computer uh, wire cable, uh, you know, across the trenches. Okay, yeah, yeah. trench warfare era. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. I uh, all right, but handling his... handling a rifle gets a lot tougher when you get yeah. below a certain. I'm just gonna say. All right, so anyway. Well, anyway, in got... fairness, though, the the Japanese uh, army in the 1930s, their their main uh, rifle was actually as tall, if not taller, than some of their soldiers. I mean, that thing was made extra big, but the I well, think yeah, it starts the, with the, an the A. Arisaka, the Arisaka. Yeah. Um, I know that. Mm-hmm. I know that mm-hmm. partly uh, because uh, uh, Artelsorian Games, uh, Mike Maximum Mike Pondsmith, uh, named uh, one of the mega corporations in Cyberpunk 2020 mm. and Cyberpunk before that 2013 uh, after the Arisaka Manufacturing Company, which made the rifles that were right. made for the Japanese Army. So Arasaka, A R A S A K A. Anyway. So yeah, no the the Arisaka rifle was was particularly long because yes. they were looking for long range accuracy. Yeah, but all right, anyway, those were taller so, than soldiers too. So he was, however, excused from drill usually because the clothing that they had, the smallest uniform, was still comically too big for him. Uh, yeah. And because of this silliness, and because of the health issues that did stem from his alcoholism, he did get discharged. Um, but that didn't stop him from drafting him. It just, he washed out. Um, and then okay. he went to live and drink and write in Paris. Like you do. Uh-huh. And he hung out with a lot of the art critics at the time, the artistic intelligentsia. Um, picture okay. like a really sad version of all the buddies in Moulin Rouge. Okay. Yeah. So there's okay. your Toulouse or, reference. Or, yeah. or, or the Algonquin roundtable with all the alcoholism and none of the wit. Yes. Yes. So in this, uh, in this play, well, I'll, I'll get to the play in a second. So eventually he writes uh, his most important play, which is really the thing that will help explain the far side more than 80 years later. Uh, it's called Ubu Roy. You, Ubu. Uh-huh. R-O-I. Yes. R-O-I. So King Ubu. Okay. Now... Does the name Ubu ring any bells for you? I'm going to have to confess that it does not. So not sit, Ubu, sit. Good dog. Uh-huh. uh-huh. They named that production That's studio after this. Yes. 
Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm, I'm, you have all of my attention. Keep talking. <laughs> so in Ubu Roy, a fat, incompetent, false tooth, grotesque caricature of a king is essentially a parody of Macbeth. His wife convinces him to start a revolution in Poland and overthrow the king. They do this, and Ubu becomes the king. Now, I'm going to get into the plot here, and it's it's going to seem somewhat farcical because it's, it is. Um, okay. Ubu so heavily taxes the people and throws out all the civil servants that he's the only one that can collect taxes from the beleaguered people. His henchman goes and starts, and fights, uh, starts a fight with the Tsar of Russia, who then declares war on Ubu's Poland. He rides out to face the Russians, and his wife, Ubu's wife, is looting the country's treasury and running off. Ubu gets beat by the Russians, he fo- uh, all of his followers die, and he gets attacked by a bear. His wife pretends to be the archangel Gabriel and tries to trick him into forgiving her for her theft. Eventually, after he knocks down some attackers with the body of the bear that attacked him, he and his wife flee to France. That's oh, the synopsis. Okay. Yeah. The central character is notorious for his infantile engagement with his world. Ubu inhabits a domain of greedy self-satisfaction and self-gratification. Jerry's metaphor for the modern man, he is an anti-hero. Fat, ugly, vulgar, gluttonous, grandiose, dishonest, stupid, jejun, voracious, greedy, uh, cruel, cowardly, and evil. I had a lot of fun uh, with the thesaurus. Clearly. Yeah. I'm just going to say, the yeah. moment you bring out jejun, yes. you're... But it's like me referencing the Algonquin Roundtable. You're just <laughs> scoring points. Yeah. Like, come on now. So I, I just want to go over that list of things again because it's going to play in later. Um, okay. Fat, ugly, yeah. vulgar, gluttonous, grandiose, dishonest, stupid, jejun, voracious, greedy, cruel, <laughs> cowardly, and evil. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Yes, I have no idea how that's <laughs> going to come in later on. You'll be surprised. What on what on earth are you talking about, Damien? Well, it's it's the the play is ridiculous too, and it's a grotesque send up of several classics. Um, if you've ever seen Hamlet two, the movie Hamlet two, have you ever seen that? No. So much fun. It's got that kind of feel. It's it's okay. Um, God, I forget who the main character is in, but Car- Car- uh, Catherine Keener is in it. Um, okay. and, um, Elizabeth Shue is in it playing Elizabeth Shue. Um, it's just, it's, if it's cheap, it's tawdry, it's obscene without even realizing why it's, it's, I mean, Hamlet two has a song called rock me sexy Jesus. Um, <laughs> okay. So the thing All is, right. yeah. Okay. And that, that came out, God, I was, I was teaching where I'm teaching now. Um, so we're talking 2007 maybe, um, and that was it was fun, right? But in 1896, this kind of a plot has a very different impact. The play itself opened and closed on the same night, because well, because it was incredibly seditious. I mean, the idea of of a of because okay, we're talking about the 1890s here, so mm-hmm. Germany is still ruled by royal family. Mm-hmm. Um, France is the only one that's not. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, no, you're you're still yep. dealing with with at at, at the, yeah, France France mm-hmm. was the most liberal democracy of all the democracies of, yes. of Western Europe at that time. Yes. The, the Spanish were still a royal family. The Germans, mm-hmm. obviously, the the Austro the Russians, the Austro-Hungary, British, the Russians, Austro Austro Hungary. Everybody was ruled by kings. Mm-hmm. All of all of those 
or well, kings and queens. Yeah. Um, but but all of those royal families had, at the very least, individuals within them who had reputations for being one or more of those negative, you oh, know, yeah. uh, adjectives that you used a moment ago. Quite so. And 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 anything. I mean, like laisse majeste was a crime mm-hmm. in any number of countries. He's lucky he put this on in France because if he'd done it in in Germany, he'd have been hauled off and thrown mm-hmm. in jail. Um, because because I think Kaiser Wilhelm was in charge of that. No. Wilhelm hadn't taken over yet, had he? Well, I'm I'm getting there in about a paragraph. So yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. But but anyway, yeah, no, the, yeah. the, the Hohenzollerns would, would not have tolerated that shit at all. No. Okay. Yeah. So the play so, yeah, no, it was scandalous at the time. The play opened with a mispronunciation of the word for shit. That was the opening line. <laughs> and in eighteen ninety six. Um now when the play was over <laughs> A riot broke out. An actual, honest-to-goodness, goddamned riot. Like I'm saying, it was a different time in 1896. Oh, and after that, because the play was literally outlawed, Alfred Jerry moved his play into puppetry from then on. I'm going to say that sentence again because it's worth repeating. After his play was outlawed, he moved it into puppetry from then on. So this is the 1890s equivalent of the comic book genre ghetto. Yes, yes, yes. This is Mad Magazine becoming a magazine. It's it's so much that. And I'm going to bring that up later. So in 1896. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, wait, go wait, ahead. Wait, wait. Okay. okay, so so, okay, a riot broke out at the end of this play. Yeah, which is the right. goddamn craziest thing I've ever heard of. I've never heard of a play causing a fucking riot, a riot well, like but, like okay. like okay. Chicago in 1968. Yeah. You know, like yeah, no, it, well, but okay. Here's here's the thing though, like ten cent beer night in about... Cleveland. You know, like yeah. a, a riot, <laughs> like sports riots. I kind of get, but you, you know, riot over a play. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No. Okay. So so, but here's the deal. Mm-hmm. No, in that in that time period. Mm-hmm. There, there wasn't the mass media the same way there is now. True. And and so, you know, going to a play was something that, that you know, people people did for entertainment mm-hmm. in, in the way that we, you know, watch TV or go to a sporting event. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's, it's also worth noting that there were uh, classical uh, symphonies and I'm, I'm blanking right now. I want to say it's Stravinsky. No. Rites of Spring. Who the hell did Rites of Spring? I don't know. And anyway, a, Ru- a Russian composer and, mm-hmm. and somebody please on Twitter correct me when you hear this. Tell me who the, who the hell it was because it's going to drive me nuts. But when the Rites of Spring opened, it's there Stravinsky. was a riot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Stravinsky's Rites of Spring mm-hmm. was, was this like um, it incensed people. Like, like it was this, it was this incredibly sensual, decadent, oh my God, you know, the, 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 the mm-hmm. nature of the music was such that, that people considered it this, this aberration and this, this horrible, you know, degraded, perverse kind of thing. This is because, 17 I mean, years right before that, though. 
Yeah, well, no, no, I I, under, yeah. I understand, but, mm-hmm. it, but what I'm trying to say is it was a different era. What always gets me about these stories, because, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd heard about Stravinsky forever ago, so you said, well, you know, after this play was over, there was a riot. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, I can see that. What always gets me is they always wait until the end of the performance. Right. They're polite. Like they rioted like, with their like, fingers out. Like, you know? like you're gonna, you're, you're gonna. Okay, so, so I could just see them, like in an airplane movie, sitting in the seats as everything's going on, like tying the rags around the tops of the vodka bottles <laughs> to, the, to the Molotov cocktails, yep. and like you know, sharpening the stakes for the barricades. Oh, you yeah. know, like, like, and still, like, still standing for gonna, the applause, and then being yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah, is yeah, now, then, is now. Then, okay, so, so now I fuck shit up. Right. Okay, you know, like, okay, curtain call, let's fucking roll. Like, how, that I don't, get. that's the part I never get. Like, how do you wait until the end of the, if you're going to riot about something, why do you wait until the end? Are you sitting through the whole, the whole time like, okay, so like in the third act, if he fixes this shit, I'm not going to break windows. Right. We're not <laughs> flipping any cop cars. If, if if the main character and the romantic in the romantic interest actually wind up together at the end, then mm-hmm. we're not flipping cop cars. But mm-hmm. so help me God, if he kills the dog, I'm like, <laughs> we're done. Like, could you imagine? Like, I'm just trying to think of a movie that I would riot after, or a play, and I can't. Thin I can't. Red line. I wanted to punch somebody in the fucking head after the thin red line. Really? I think I watched it while I had a fever. <laughs> well, it's probably the best time to watch either that or insensate drunk. Uh, so I, I, I went, I went to see that with, with a couple of friends mm-hmm. and, um, I, I got way too big a soda and it was way too long a movie. So you wanted to punch people so, because you had a bladder so buster. To, well, well, no, 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 okay. no, no, no. Okay. I got up cause, mm-hmm. cause it was, it was also an interminably slow fucking movie. Mm-hmm. So I got up and I went to the, I went to the bathroom and I came back and I'm standing not in the doorway to the, to the theater, but like, you know, at, at the, at the, at the ramp, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to go to my seat yet because I'm watching the screen and everything happening on the screen looks like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, they're about to wrap this all up because mm-hmm. it's been, you know, two hours and 10 minutes. So like, here we go. And the movie kept going yes. for another 40 minutes. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, my it wasn't an issue of my bladder. It was like, pick a fucking ending. Because there were three different times. Like, I walked up and I was like, oh, okay, all right, they're, they're going to end it now. And, and you know, Danny Moss, swelling music. And then they kept going. And I, and I was like, okay, well, can I go? No, okay, no. No, okay. This this thread of the story is now coming to an end. They're going to end the movie. Okay, now we're going to end the movie. Swelling music and mm-hmm. this, that, and the mm-hmm. other, and and it kept going. And like when the movie finally fucking ended, I was like, no, 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 I'm not moving yet. No, they're gonna. It's gonna rise from the dead. Like <laughs> something's gonna fucking happen. So yeah, no. At the end of that movie, I wanted to punch somebody. So I can understand getting to the end of a movie and being like, all right, all right, somebody. Give me, I wish a motherfucker would. Somebody give me a reason. <laughs> okay. Well, you would have fit in on that night. Um, so. Oh, I would. I would. I'd have been punching people left and right, I'm sure. <laughs> so we're going to go to commercial. Um, and then okay. uh, when we come back from our ad break, I'll, I'll give you the context of why 
this was, and and you you pretty much have nailed it. But I just want to name some names, so okay, uh, awesome. we'll catch you on the other side of the break. Hello, Geek Timers. This is Producer George interrupting this podcast to let you know that we have space available. This space could be used to promote your product, book, event, group, even wish a special someone happy birthday. If you're interested in using this space, please contact us on Twitter via private message at Geek History Time. Welcome back. Uh, good ads. Um, be good to have more ads. So if people want to put stuff in there, like the uh, like the the producer George message said, let us know. You got birthdays coming up. We're actually doing a pretty good job of recording within about a month of release. Uh, so in the meantime, uh, in 1896, essentially Europe is ruled by Queen Victoria, Tsar Nicholas, Wilhelm II, Franz Joseph, and Felix Faure. Faure, Faure, I. It's French. I don't know. But he's okay, the wait. French president. Yes. Oh, okay. All yeah. Right. And he has... Because everybody else, everybody else you just you just mentioned was a royal. Yes. yes. And then and then him. And I'm like, Yeah. Because it's the I Third recognize... Republic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, because I, re- I recognized all those names but his. And I'm yeah. Like, wait. Yeah. It's, it's okay. the kind of thing that gets left out of, uh, you know, they're, they're like, oh, here's all the royals. That's what they had in common. And, like, they left out the the legally elected one the one democracy at the time well okay so so, so but but here's the thing mm-hmm. the deal is i don't i don't know i don't know if i'm if i'm sticking up for the historiographers responsible for that but when when you have a dynasty running things mm-hmm. there's there's a thread throughout that you know kind of makes it an easier mnemonic to try to remember okay this mm-hmm. this this people is this is this set of names when you have a liberal democracy that elects a new factotum every, you know, four years, eight years, six years, mm-hmm. whatever, it's it's unless you're specifically talking about a set of, a, a specific set of events, mm-hmm. then then within a broader curriculum, like we we can we can talk about the Hohenzollern dynasty running you know, what is now Germany, uh, for, for the length of time that they did. Right. No, I see As what you a mean. Group like of people, you know, World War one ends the old world order. And that's yeah, usually, and then, you know, but the thing is that, you know, you have all those empires. This one was an empire run by a democracy. I think that's worthy of note. Uh, okay. Good point. Yeah. yeah all right. So, right. um, he had no fewer than six prime ministers in the course of four years. Wait, hold yeah. on. Yeah. Okay, so yes. so what we're saying is the Third Republic and the Weimar Republic had about the same level of political stability. Well, interestingly, he was elected specifically because he was so bland he would offend nobody. Politically. Because, oh, okay. personally, he was right. really entertaining. Uh, he entered a scandalous affair um, almost immediately, um, entered into the Franco-Russian alliance, made a shitty choice in the Dreyfus affair, and in 1899, he died of apoplexy. Shucks. Mm-hmm. In 1899, he died of apoplexy while possibly getting a blowjob from his mistress in the presidential office. 
So what we're saying is he's kind of the guy Uncle Billy wanted to be. Potentially. Potentially. I mean, I'd I'd say Billy did a better job, quite honestly. He stayed alive. uh, Okay, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, I mean, if you're going to go out. Yeah, I don't know if I'd want to do that to anybody. Um, Okay, good Because then there's a gap time of when did they figure it out. And just, yeah. Yeah. Okay, good point. But, all right. So So his, his play... Okay, back to Jerry's play. Jerry, yeah, yeah. Uh, is what really so that's that's the the context under which it was written. It really influenced what would later come to be known as theater of the absurd in the nineteen fifties. Um, now, Jerry, now hold on, yeah, back up. Theater of the absurd. We're talking about waiting for Godot. Um, and, and yes, Ilk. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Just making sure I know oh, what, what we're talking about I'll when we use there. that term. I'll All get right. there. Okay. So he spent most of his very short life, uh, the rest of his short life, because uh, he died in 1907 due to tuberculosis and drugs, um, in a truncated apartment, which was fine for a man of his height, but everyone else had to stoop to get in. It, it was weird. There's so much I edited out about oh, him. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he, uh, so, so did you ever see like Being John Malkovich? The far side. What's that? It sounds like a character on the far side. Yeah, except far side was much shorter and much more self-contained. Like, there's so much backstory that you would need for this to work. Yeah, no, I, I understand, but you, yeah. you know what I mean. But yeah, like, like you know, any, any take any take any vignette out of his yes. daily life, and it could be plugged in. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, which Did explains you ever see... why he was an absurdist. Well, he wasn't. Okay, he was a proto-absurdist. He was uh, he was a symbologist. Uh, and er, yes, symbolist. Okay. Um, um, no, did, I have not seen Being John Malkovich. Okay. There is a seventh and a half clips. floor in Being John. Like okay. the, the whole thing uh, happens in an office building that I think is a send back to that. Um, I think they were okay. clearly looking at Jerry's life. Um, so okay. he influenced several art and literary critics, French authors, artists, poets. Uh, poets, um, Ubu gave the audience, quote, a particular kind of pleasure for an audience watching these infantile attacks. Part of the satisfaction arises from the fact that in burlesque mode, which uh, in the burlesque mode, which Jerry invents, there is no place for consequence. While Ubu may be relentless in his political aspirations and brutal in his personal relations, he apparently has no measurable effect on those who inhabit the farcical world which he creates around himself. He thus acts out our most childish rages and desires in which we seek to gratify ourselves at all cost. Okay. Okay. Now on to the 1950s. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. Wait, wait. Uh, yeah. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Wait. I, I think just Stop. leaving that there is, is not a bad move. Okay. Because <laughs> it's... <laughs> I mean, I'm punching Bozo in the nose. <laughs> okay, all right. So, yeah. okay, so, so, yeah. He, he, at this point, I, I gotta, I gotta admit, before, before we make this time skip, mm-hmm. I, I have to admit, I'm now, you know, hearing all of this, and like, this guy is the seminal figure in, in, in multiple kinds of, kinds of genres, yes. and is this, you know, proto er, mm-hmm. you know, absurdist and, and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. How exactly is it? I'm 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 going to say I'm pretty well read dude. Mm-hmm. Yes, you are. I'm I don't I don't want to be arrogant about it, but I think I'm a pretty well read dude. You're and far I'm broader pretty, read than I am. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty 
you know, I'm 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 educated. Yes, I don't have a master's degree yet, like like you do. But you know, I'm I'm an educated man. Mm-hmm. How how did I not know about this dude? Like like I feel this is a personal failing. Like like I'm, <laughs> I'm now I'm now looking I'm now like like oh my god, there's this huge gap in my in my knowledge that's based around this one dude. Mm-hmm. Like. How have I not heard this name before? Yeah, the connective tissue between him and a whole bunch of stuff that you have heard of is quite interesting, actually. Like, it, it's okay. it's a lot of, like, whoa, it kind of comes back to him a lot. Okay. Yeah. Well, the 1890s are such an in intercalarie kind of time. Like, it's basically like, yeah, 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 and then everybody got ready for war. Like... That's what really stole okay. the thunder in in our, okay. most of our education. Okay. I would imagine. Yeah. That's okay. Good point. Yeah. yeah. We 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 hear about we hear about the Victorian era. Yeah. We mostly hear about Victoria. Mm-hmm. You you hear about, hear about uh, the buildup of alliances. You'll hear about Wilhelm the Second. You might hear about uh, uh, Belgium Congo. You might hear about yeah. Nietzsche maybe in the eighteen nineties because he yeah. dies in ninety five. And you might, and yeah. you, and you know, if you if you're really, really, you know, digging around, you'll hear about the Dreyfus affair, right? And, and even that's and like half a paragraph. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. I and feel a little there, less. There's bad, a lot. But, oh there's a God. lot of really important things happening in the world at that time with regards to revolution, blowing up uh, despots, and stuff like that. Like the, yeah, the well, world is you, in a you, state of flux. So not yeah. knowing about this one playwright, I give everyone a pass on that. Okay, but yeah. you know, you, you hear about the revolutions of 1848, mm-hmm. and then you're kind of, and then, and then, you know, the world history curriculum in Gen Civ, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just kind of skips from there to, okay, and then we have imperialism, right, and all of this, and you know, balance of power, this, that, and the other thing, you know, and all these guys, and now we're moving on to, you know, the build up to World War One. Yes. Like, like you said. And so yeah, this is, yeah, this is like interstitial. Yeah. It really kind is. Kind of tissue. So, okay. It's All fun. Right. It's fun. But yeah. it's, it's by no means the, the meat on the bone that you want. Okay. So, right. okay. 1950s. Gary Larson yes. was born in Tacoma, Washington in 1950. So, so he is a, like this, this is, this is. How do I want to put this? This this is this he he is at the crest of the wave of the baby boom. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. So so he he is right there on the peak of mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. of of that statistical, yep. you know, bell that, bump. that we see. Yeah. yeah. Um okay. both of his parents worked a uh, lower middle class lifestyle from what I could find. Uh he went to college, got a bachelor's of arts in communications uh for a while he was interested in biology he was the youngest of two um his older brother dan would scare him every chance he got uh but dan would also help gary catch all manner of fauna and build terraria in their basement to keep them in Um, okay so growing up in suburban tacoma essentially through the eisenhower and kennedy years as a youth would have put him Yeah, it would have put him in an environment that was keenly aware of the existential threat of nuclear war with both Russia and China. Even if, like many kids, he wouldn't have had the context for it and he could have easily ignored it, it would have been in the water in which he swam, which is something we're fond of saying. Well, yeah, it it would have been it would have been uh, it it suffused the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, very very early on yep. in our in our conversations, you know, we talked about the experiences our parents had as right. boomers, 
and he's in Tacoma, which is, I mean, that's, you know, there were a lot of people figuring out which, which places would get attacked first in a nuclear strike. Yeah. And, and up in Washington, that's where you've got a lot of manufacture um, for airplanes and such like that. So yeah, there's, yeah, no, there's it's, the it's part of the yeah. state that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. I think his later artwork absolutely belies that influence, by the way, even though he ascribes it to just his older brother being shitty and kind. Okay. So we'll get to Larson's first Farside comic on January 1st, 1980 in the San Francisco Chronicle in a little bit. Uh, But really, to get to Gary Larson, we, of course, have to talk about more French playwrights. Like you do. Because because obviously. Yeah. And to talk about them. Okay. I need to talk okay. about Albert Camus. Oh, God. And a little bit about Jean-Paul Sartre afterwards. But don't worry. I will get to Eugene Ionesco. I have not abandoned you, Eugene. So. Okay. <laughs> here we go with Albert Camus. Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. You you don't like Albert Camus. This is the, this is the philosophical equivalent for me of eating my Wheaties. <laughs> like, well, let's see if I can pour like a little I, sugar on like, it. Like, like I know I have to do it, but yeah. oh my God. Uh, okay. Well, so Albert Camus is a French philosopher. He wrote an essay in 1942 titled The Myth of Sisyphus. Um, in 1935, he had joined the French Communist Party to fight against the inequalities that he saw in Algeria specifically, despite not being a Marxist. Okay, hold on. Yes. Now, was Camus a Blackfoot? Uh, remind me what that French means. French born Algerian or, or uh, ethnic, ethnic French born in Algeria. No. Okay. No. Um, oh God, I can't remember where he lived. Uh, he was, he was in France proper though. Okay. Cause um, I'm, cause I'm yeah. trying to remember, I'm trying to remember who it was, but there, there was Jacques Derrida was. Okay. Yeah. And he was into that deconstructionism, be... but that's not okay, till the seventies. Might... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Not, um, not who I'm thinking. Jacques Derrida anyway. was a French Jew living in Algeria. Like, he, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> Camus was not a Marxist. He was much more spiritual than most Marxists. He believed that morality was not merely a function of history. And so he quit that group and joined the Algerian Communist Party because he saw them as having a better shot at ending totalitarian colonial rule. Okay. When the PCA, uh, which is the... Uh, something, some Algier. Yeah, and the Algerian People's Party. Um, oh, it's the, the, the Party Communist uh, Algier. Um, Party. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and when they and the Algerian People's Party <laughs> suffered from fighting amongst each other, Camus was expelled from the PCA for not being Stalinist enough. Yeah, okay. I, I'm sorry. I, I, I have to stop you there, but you sure. talk about the PC and the Algerian People's Party. Oh, yeah. And, it's and very Monty Python. And, and all, I, yeah, yeah. all I can think of is, <laughs> no, we're not the Judean People's Front. We're the People's Front of Judea. Yeah, fuck off. Yeah. Those bastards. Fuck off. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. So, okay. That's okay, yeah. And from then on, he also had... This the, is the problem the left has always had. Yeah, well, that's... that's <laughs> yeah, being a coalition party, you, you tend to abrade each other quite a bit. You don't have a single savior on the left. Yeah. Um, so he also had the twin focus of being deeply distrustful of bureaucracy and being very interested in the idea of human dignity. So while he was in the PCA, he'd been the main organizer of the Workers' Theater. Okay. 
In the late 1930s, he'd been a writer for an anti-fascist leftist newspaper that specifically focused on French Algeria. In 1940, that paper got banned by the French government. So then he flew to Paris and became the editor-in-chief of Paris Soir. Soir? S-O-I-R. Soir. Soir. Paris Soir. Uh, Because the French don't know how to spell. Well, or they're remarkably consistent. We just aren't hip to their codes. Um, While while he was there, he wrote his first trilogy. Um, And and he, I forget what he exactly called them, but essentially he would write things in a trilogy. It would be a novel, a play, and a philosophical essay. And specifically, he was tackling the concept of the absurd and meaninglessness. Um, And he did this in 1942. He ended up being friends with Jean-Paul Sartre and was an active member of the resistance after the army refused to take him. Okay, wait. Yep. Do we know why the army? Was it political? No, I don't think. Well, with him, it might have been. I think it was because he wasn't healthy enough, which is interesting when the Nazis are marching through. So in in, in the myth of Sisyphus... Uh, Camus said that human existence is devoid of meaning, but paradoxically, mm-hmm. humans will never stop seeking that meaning. Yeah, and and yeah. Uh, the the interpretations that I've that I've mm-hmm. seen mm-hmm. and may and may have bastardized or misunderstood mm-hmm. is that there is no inherent meaning in human existence, right? But our quest for meaning makes gives meaning. it whatever makes meaning, creates whatever meaning we mm-hmm. make for it. We we are responsible for making the meaning of our own existence. That's a little bit more Sartre than it is Camus, but okay. they're they're fairly close together. Okay. So um, he said that the moment that Sisyphus was happy was the moment that Sisyphus returned to the stone at the bottom of the hill. And started pushing it again. So just for our listeners that aren't picturing this, Sisyphus was a guy who basically called out Zeus for being shitty. And he was punished for the eternity of uh, the afterlife by having to push a rock up to the top of a hill and just to see it fall back down one way or the other. He could never get it fully balanced. I think there was a promise that once he got it balanced, then he could be amongst the gods or something. That, But yeah, different stories. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. And and depending on the version, it's either that he could never manage to get it balanced, or it would it would shatter into a bunch of pieces, roll back down the hill, and then reform. Right. So yeah, it depending probably depends on the on island that you were on when you heard the story. Yeah. 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 So. Living in an archipelago, that's the way it works. Yeah. So, so okay. You know, interesting. I just want to come back to that for just a second. Um, yeah. The uh, Greeks, uh, obviously, their religions influenced the Romans. Um, but the Greeks were on uh, a shit ton of uh, islands, right? Ar- Ar- yeah, archipelago, yeah, yeah, yeah. like Ar- you said. Archipelago. Yeah. Um, the the Norse gods. These are uh, a two cultures that are separated by over a thousand years and a shit ton of space, and they never had any contact with each other. Yeah. But what I find fascinating is this. Um, uh, let me see if I can remember it. Uh, the day, the Monday, is called Monday because. The moon. The moon. Right? Yeah. Moon's well, day. Yeah. Uh, well, and Sunday is called Sunday because of the sun, right? In yeah. Latin, the word for Sunday is solis, the day of the sun. Uh, mm. In Latin, the word for Monday is the day of the moon, lunai. Mm-hmm. Um, Tuesday, 
that's Tears Day, if I recall. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. In Latin, it's Martis. Now, Tears, the god of war. I mean, they're all kind of yeah, annex yeah, gods of war. Yeah, 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 yeah. But Martis is you Mars. Know, we're, we're talking. Yeah, we 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 are talking we are talking about the Norse here and yeah. and war like Odin was a god of war. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, Odin is Wednesday, yeah. Woden's day. Yep. Right? Um yep. the the day for um Wednesday in Latin is Oh, is is Mercurii actually. It's the day of um Mercury. Mercury. Uh, although Odin is seen as a traveler as well. And so is Mercury. Yes. Uh, well, you know that what, what that what that gets back to mm-hmm. is is the uh, linguistic idea, anthropological linguistic idea of of all of these cultures mm-hmm. having their roots in the same uh, Indo. What's the the, it's called the PIE, the Proto-Indo-European language. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. They're that they're all. I mean, you know, and and these and these concepts are so 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 big, deeply, in. Yeah. so yeah, so so deeply embedded in in the in the proto beginnings of of anything we would recognize as our culture. That like, you could look at the Scythians. Yeah, but and find, here's the thing: find find that stuff. They would have had contact with the Romans and Greeks. The Norse didn't at all. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting my timelines wrong. I'm, yeah. I'm talking about. I'm talking about. Um, there was a reason. The reason this is in my head mm-hmm. is uh, there was an article I saw online mm-hmm. uh, where they discovered a set of boots. Yeah. They referred to as they referred to as Scythian. Yes. But they were they were two the year two thousand BC. Yeah. So like a four thousand year old, which which. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, cool. <laughs> for for those for those of you in the audience who who aren't up on this, mm-hmm. um, th- this is a pair of fabric le- leather and fabric boots, mm-hmm. and what is what is astounding about this is that they have been dated through carbon dating and layer dating and all the other stuff that archaeologists do mm-hmm. to two thousand BC. Yeah, and and if you if you look up you know, Scythian boots, 2000 BC, you'll find this thing. And they are first, they're gorgeous. I just want to say, secondly, um, they, it, it is for anybody who doesn't understand how archeology span kind of, kind of works and what the problems of it are. It is vanishingly rare. Yes. To find anything made out of fabric. That's more than a few hundred years old. Uh, uh, that's that that that's that's any kind of natural fiber. Mm-hmm. I should I should mm-hmm. add caveat there because in in you know two thousand years from now they're going to find all the fucking polyester in the world. Yes, because that doesn't break down. But but cotton, linen, yeah, uh, silk, all of that stuff, of course, is biological material, which means it gets mm-hmm. eaten by bacteria, which means mm-hmm. after a couple of hundred years it's gone. Right. And and the reason these were preserved is they were way up in Siberia in the in the permafrost and and they were literally frozen for four thousand years, and and so when I'm talking about Scythians in this context, I'm talking about you know a couple of thousand like long before the Greeks, long before sure. the Romans as we recognize them. That's when I say Scythians, that's the group I'm talking about, like yeah. proto Scythians, proto Indian, proto Indo European. Right. But people. there still would have been inroads from that area 
into the eastern Mediterranean area. Yeah. So well, I, I guess I guess what I'm saying is that you the, don't have the, that going up to is, Norway. Yeah. Well, these all all of these things are coming from the same set of deeply buried roots. Yeah. Uh, again, I I still am stuck on the fact that Norway is way the fuck up north, past several impassable bodies of water for those people, and again, a thousand years later. Yeah. Well, migration yeah. periods. Yeah. I'm just you know the yeah. the 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 one of one of the most remarkable things that we're that we're seeing now, looking at archaeological uh, uh, evidence now that we have access to the kind of mitochondrial DNA analysis tools and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, is we're figuring out, and and this is something that that a mutual friend of ours online loves loves to to boil down to a simple quote: mm-hmm. people get around. They do. They absolutely do. You know. And, and, and it's, it's becoming, it's becoming ever, ever clearer, Mm -hmm. uh, that people have been moving around from generation to generation a great deal more throughout our history from the Neolithic period Mm -hmm. or older Mm -hmm. than, than we ever had any, any concept of for a very long time. True. So, so Thursday anyway, but, is named yeah. for Thor, who is the yes. god of thunder. Yeah. The word for Thursday in Latin is Jovis, which is the day of Jupiter, yeah. who is the Jove. the the god of thunder. Yeah. Um, Friday, and this is my favorite one. Friday is uh, the day of Freya, the goddess of fertility. Well, either Freya or her brother Freyr, who's right. the the spear version of that same yeah. concept. But so yeah. the god of fucking. So yeah, and yeah. and the harvest and plants growing. Yeah, and yeah but, but also yes. fucking fertility. Uh, yeah, in all its in all its various and sundry forms. Mm-hmm. Yes. So <laughs> what's what's really cool is the Latin word for Friday is Veneris, which is the day of Venus, who's the god of fucking. So. Friday has always been the day of fucking. And <laughs> so now, okay, so hold on. And, and uh, all the others this, match this up too. Up. Okay. So this, so this, so this opens up a whole other, a whole other can, uh-huh. of, can of lube. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so, so now the question is when, when the five day work week got decided mm-hmm. and Friday <laughs> became the beginning of the weekend. Yep. On a subconscious level, do you think that was the reason? That they, that they all agreed that because like it could have been okay. No, we're we're gonna have the weekend be Sunday and Monday, because Sunday is the day you know in in Western society, right? You know, predominantly Christian society. You know, Sunday's the day we all we all attend worship collectively. Well, we Sunday all, is the you know day of the, it's the first day of the week, and therefore it's the first fruits, right? Yeah. And the Sabbath is the the last day of the week. And you know, God God was not a union guy, but he, yeah. you know, he 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 wanted the six day work week. Um, but uh you get that last day off, which means the day of fucking um happens and then you can sleep in and have your day off. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Tomorrow is a rest day. Yes. Uh, so get your and, fucking in. And, and my and my and my farscape mm-hmm. pals are gonna recognize that reference. But uh Okay. Yeah. I, I, I am I am going to speak up for for Jehovah okay. here and, and say that he said you're going to rest on this day. Mm-hmm. He never said you're only going to rest on that day. 
Oh, true, true. You said you're going to set this this day aside. Yeah. And you're going to make holy. Okay. And you're not going to do any work on this day. He never said you got to work, you know, backbreaking labor the other six. He just said this day you set aside. Okay. And of course, he was saying this to people who were, you know, shepherds and subsistence farmers. Yeah. So by definition, you're going to work backbreaking labor the other six days yeah. because otherwise because now you, you have know, to little, take a fucking day off because, now too because because you know you you got to you you got to feed the kids right mm-hmm. so you know you know I I think I think had had um the had 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 the revelation of of the Ten Commandments come down in an industrialized set of circumstances they'd look very different oh quite so yes. Because, you know, God, but, God speaks to the audience he has at the time. So anyway, moving sure. on. So the Romans, a thousand years before the Norse, different pantheons, different cultures, never touched each other. Both had essentially the same days, except for Saturday. Um, Saturday is the day of Saturn, uh, who eats all his children. Um, yeah. And uh, the, the Latin one for that is, I forget. It might actually be well. I don't remember. Um, well, okay. But yeah, but here's the thing. Saturday mm-hmm. is taken directly. The, the funny thing to me is we have Monday, Tuesday, or or, or Sunday, Monday, mm-hmm. Sun, Moon, and then we have all Norse. Right. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, mm-hmm. and then we get to Saturday, and all of a sudden it's a Greek Titan again. Mm-hmm. Like. Off the top of my head, I don't even know what the Norse name for that day was. Yeah, nor I. So. So anyway. Yeah. So anyway, but, back to Sisyphus. Uh, yeah. So Sisyphus, Camus sees Sisyphus as being happy the second he starts pushing the rock again, because at that moment he understands the pointlessness of everything, and Sisyphus is all of us. Here's a quote: "The workman of today works every day of his life." at the same tasks, and this fate is no less absurd, but it is tragic only at the rare moments when it becomes conscious. That's Camus. And he's basically focusing on Sisyphus's thoughts as he's walking back to the stone that just rolled down the hill. Here's another quote. It is during that return, that pause, that Sisyphus interests me. A face that toils so close to stones is already stone itself. I think something lost in translation there. Um, I see that man going back down with a heavy yet measured step toward the torment of which he will never know the end. And so once Sisyphus acknowledges how silly all of this is and how certain his fate actually is, he's truly free to embrace the absurdity of it all. And once he does that, there's a contentedness. Camus imagined that that's the moment of happiness. Okay. Yeah. I I I I I understand mm-hmm. the chain of logic involved in mm-hmm. that. Add add and to the as yeah. a as a metaphor. Mm-hmm. I see how it makes sense. Well, let's add an extra layer to that then. Okay. He's a leftist who hated fascism, who saw his own country as an imperial oppressor, and he was banned from saying leftist shit and then suddenly his country got overrun with meth-addled super fascists (laughs) (laughs) and he's looking around going 
Yeah, nothing means fucking anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, the phrase meth-addled super fascist yeah. <laughs> to, to, describe, to describe the Wehrmacht is just too perfect. Yeah, yeah. It's um, also Hydra. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, them too. Um, wow. So okay. in the first chapter, yeah. yeah. In, in, the, <sighs> in the first chapter of his essay, and I'm not going to tackle the whole thing, but I do want you to see some of the antecedents to what we're going to recognize later. Camus okay. tackles the idea of suicide as a necessary reaction to the absurdity. If life is absurd and meaningless, does that realization require suicide? It's a hell of a question to ask, and it's not actually as depressing as you might think, because the idea that we lived, that we live based on hope means that we want tomorrow to come. Here's where it gets fun. If tomorrow comes, that brings us one day closer to death. So the very thing that we hope for is the thing that will, by necessity, destroy us. Okay. So here's 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 mm-hmm. my my just I, I, I'm going to interject here. Sure. With, with where I'm at, hearing this, so I can I can understand Mm -hmm. how it is that somebody who really gets into existentialism because that is what we're talking about here can we're not there yet he is not an existentialist that doesn't come until Sartre. but you're right we are Uh, right there we're cresting we're we're right we're We're seeing the interweaving between that and absurdity we're opening we're opening the door to walk in the threshold to it well because camus is really big on if you have any hope whatsoever you're not an absurdist and so he's dogmatic Great. in absurdism. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. But yes, they are they are but cousins. He's he's right up there. Yes. So so what what we're what we're looking at here is 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 the under is is some of the underpinnings of existentialism. Yes. What would be a better way to put that, maybe. And and yeah. there there are there is a very if, if you take the Venn diagram of Buddhism and existentialism, mm-hmm. the the overlap is really significant. This having is... having mm-hmm. you know spent a lot of time trying to teach Buddhism to middle schoolers. Yes, this is you know, and and the thing is, to anybody who hasn't spent a lot of time reading up on all of the background and all of the ins and outs of of what all of this stuff means, right? But it sounds fucking depressing. So yeah. okay, life is suffering. Mm-hmm. Like what a fucking downer. Yeah, like, thanks. Bud. Hold on. What, yeah. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, Gautama. What yeah. the hell, yeah. man? You know, and and <laughs> I I know. Mm-hmm. That part of my reaction to this is just because, well, first off, I'm I'm a a a deist, which mm-hmm. you know means that existentialism and I are are going to have a fraught relationship to begin with. Well, you might but, need some Kierkegaard to get you there, it, yeah, yeah. probably. But but you know, um, uh, uh, the 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 premise of of what we're talking about about you know everything repeating and, and there's no, you know the the March toward our inevitable death. Mm-hmm. You know, we we hope for this. It is is like we in, hope for that next step in, too. To, yeah, yeah. To to oversimplify, we're saying that we're hoping for the next step is is the Freudian death urge. Yes, 
to to you know again mm-hmm. take a bunch of steps out of the middle here but you know <laughs> yeah it's why uh, the moth flies toward the light you know it's yeah, that kind of thing yeah, yeah yeah and and from from anybody and and I haven't spent a lot of time reading about Kemu or Sart mm-hmm. I've, I've probably spent more than most people but that's because I'm a humanities major mm-hmm. but but you know not nearly as much as you have and, and from well, my point of view, because I'm really big into the far side. Yeah, yeah and that, <laughs> that sounds like a fucking downer. Like, it is. Well, oh my god. Well, I'm going to bring you even further down for a second. Oh, oh great. So Thank you. we hope, and hope is what keeps us from wanting to die. But hope means that we take a step closer to death, which will. Okay destroy us which means hope is actually what's going to kill us it's kind of like oxidative damage um and okay on top of that we live as though our deaths are not certain which is a really odd hope given what hope gets us to like so we you you hear this all the time if in the event of your death no when you die it is a guaranteed certainty, and yet we live in such a way that our death is not certain, and yet we hope for the next step closer to it. Um, and so if you turn to religion, you are abandoning reason for th- reason, not raisins. Uh, you are abandoning reason for faith, which itself is the ultimate expression of a hope for death. Because when you die, you'll get to paradise. Now, heaven is better, therefore, having faith that there's a heaven means that ultimately you have that death urge. Um, now, keep in mind, he did live with Algerian Jews, French Catholics, and Huguenots. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going yeah. to argue that his characterization of deist mm-hmm. outlooks is kind of the same way that Marx's outlook is on the working class. Mm-hmm. Like you're say you're doing an awful lot of talking for him, not having ever kind of like been one of them. Fair. I, you know. I would just point out that if you, if you look at the ultimate end goal, the ultimate end goal <laughs> is, is not to live in the here and now, but life ever after. Life ever after doesn't happen yeah. until death. Therefore, yeah, right, it's, it's, right, it's okay. working the algebra right. problem backwards. Yeah, okay, so. all right. But he says suicide is not the solution because without human life, the world that we've constructed would have no absurdity, and thus the absurd would cease with us. So, we must live without false hope, and constantly confront the absurd, recognizing that we will never fully accept it, nor should we lest we commit suicide, thereby ending both absurdity and ourselves. Okay. Now, now in that, in that last bit, when you say committing suicide, mm-hmm. are we talking about literal suicide, or are we also yeah. talking about yeah. figurative suicide of having just said, you know, whatever, fuck it, give up? Uh, literal. Literal. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of the goose that lays the golden egg. Like, you know, the wife wants to cut the goose open, get yeah, all the golden eggs. Yeah, cut the goose open, right? get all the eggs yeah. out, and, yeah. Yeah. No. Oh, okay. Thus, All Camus right. arrives at three consequences from fully acknowledging the absurd. They are revolt, freedom, and passion. Revolt. Don't accept it. <laughs> don't accept the absurd. So once you've acknowledged the absurd, don't accept it. Freedom. 
you embrace it and you recognize that there is no hope worth having. There's no point in having hope. And passion, given this freedom and this revolt, the fact that you're not accepting it and you're living without hope, hope, it's not about living your best life, but about living your most life. And I don't mean like the amount of minutes you're putting on the scoreboard, but like how much life are you squeezing into the minutes that you've got? Because you ain't going to get that much. It's not too different than Robin Williams' character, Mr. Keating, in Dead Poet Society. Suck the marrow okay. out of life because someday you're going to be worm food. Okay. And Camus pointed okay. to various authors, Dostoevsky, Kafka, and he said those guys aren't absurdist because ultimately they had hope. So I'm going to quibble about Kafka, but okay. He said that there was a glimmer. Yeah, okay. There were glimmers of hope in Kafka's writing. I, I know. Okay, I didn't see it, but okay, whatever. Yeah. Uh, he he must he must have a very sensitive hope meter because yeah. <laughs> the metamorphosis did not give me any kind of sense <laughs> of hope. So okay. Yeah. So actually, this is a good place to break it because next time I'll start you with okay. Jean Paul Sartre. Um, oh, great. And Sartre will then get us to Ionesco, who will then clearly point the way to Gary Larson under Ronald Reagan and again under Donald Trump. Okay. So that's you, that's you where we're going. Have a road ma- you clearly have a roadmap, and oh, yeah. we have a lot of driving to do. Yes. Ooh, cows. So. <laughs> <laughs> Car. So uh, I'm going to ask you. <laughs> sick. Sick. I think you just answered my question too. Okay. I am going to ask you not what you're reading, but what your favorite Far Side cartoon was. <laughs> oh God, that's why you got to give me such a hard one at the end of at the end of an episode. Um, there are so many. Um, oh hey, I guess we all aimed for the same guy, huh? <laughs> uh, is is one of them. Uh-huh. Um, but but I I think. <laughs> being being the son of an aviator, mm-hmm. especially I know the, I know the one you're talking airline, about, <laughs> especially being the son of an airline pilot. Yep, my absolute favorite one is is where the one panel is broken up into into four. Mm-hmm. Or it might have been more than four, mm-hmm. but um, it's it's you're looking you're looking head on at the front end of an airplane, right? Uh, 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 a jetliner. And and the pilot is is clearly talking in a little you know hand mic radio, and he says, uh, "All right, I'm going to need everybody to uh, to buckle up. Uh, we got some turbulence ahead." And then yeah, it was it was a it was a four panel because in the second panel, the airplane is leaning hard to the right, and the next panel, the airplane is leaning hard to the left. And you can see the pilot and the co-pilot both leaning on the stick in both directions really hard. Mm-hmm. Actually, it might have been more than four panels, but anyway. So it, it and and then there's a panel of of the two of them just laughing their asses off in the cockpit, mm-hmm. and then the last panel is the is the captain back on the radio wiping wiping a tear from his eye. That's right. like my favorite detail. Yeah. Wiping a tear from his eye as he says, "Uh oh, looks like more turbulence." <laughs> now here's the thing that that is that is. Almost without doubt, my my absolute. If you told me I I could only keep one mm-hmm. in my memory forever, that would probably be it. Okay. Um. Although you're sick, Carl. Sick, sick is right up there. Sure. But, but, but I have to tell you why. Okay. 
and and I already mentioned, of course, my father was was an airline pilot. Mm-hmm. So he he was a co-pilot on a flight going out of LAX to I want to say it was Denver, or it might have been St. Louis. Anyway, um, the the uh, weather forecast indicated that there was going to be heavy like keep everybody strapped in or there are going to be injuries like break out the extra barf bags turbulence mm-hmm. along the route mm-hmm. right in a specific place along along the flight path they were going to be following mm-hmm. so they got in the airplane and and within the first 30 minutes of the flight the captain announced hey we're we're we we have been advised by the weather service there's going to be really heavy turbulence so so everybody is aware we're not we're not going to be turning off the the fastened seatbelt sign. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs to stay in your seats unless it's an emergency. And they flew for another hour and a half, two hours. They get over the mountains where the turbulence is supposed to be, and it is smooth as glass. There is not a bump, nothing. Nice. And and the flight attendants, ding. To the to the cabin, hey, uh, we want to see. Can you turn off the, the the sign so we can get up, so they can get up and do their jobs, right? right? You know, go, you know. And uh, <clears throat> and the captain says, nope, no turbulence. We've been told, barf bag up, chuck mm-hmm. like hurt people. Turb. Nobody's getting up. No, so hard no. And my dad, as the co-pilot, mm-hmm. is the one who has to deliver the message. He's the one who who does that the captain sure. makes the decision the but the co-pilot does the communicating okay so no captain says no we're not doing that hang up hang up the the intercom 20 minutes go by nothing absolutely perfect not a like again smooth as glass mm-hmm. ding Dad picks up the intercom, and of course, it's it's the head head flight attendant. You know, yeah. can can we get up now? Turns to the captain. The captain says, "No, we don't know when we're going to hit it. Up, chuck turbulence. Right, not, right. N- not on my watch. Not going to let it happen. No, mm-hmm. hang up. No, captain says no. Hangs up. Okay, so this this happens another two times, and then and then like the fourth or fifth time mm-hmm. that the that Flight attendants do that. <clears throat> the captain doesn't say a word, but he just looked, makes eye contact with my father, mm-hmm. then reaches down, switches off the autopilot, puts his hands on the stick, and jogs it mm-hmm. a little bit hard mm-hmm. five times to actually cause the airplane to bump. Buck and weave, yeah. Buck and weave. Levels out the stick, mm-hmm. flicks the autopilot back on, and then turns off the fasten seatbelt sign. <laughs> Doesn't say a word. Nice. So that is why that is my favorite mm-hmm. ever. Okay. Uh, Farside cartoon, and 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 it's a good thing my dad never listens to this podcast because he'd be so mad that I'm telling that story. <laughs> Uh, well, cool. But yeah. 
See, All that's right. that 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 right there is my yeah. <laughs> oh, looks like more turbulence because yeah. that 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 might happens. actually happen more often than you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. All right. All right. Well, uh, plug uh, social media stuff. All right. Well, um, if you absolutely, positively, desperately need to find me, you can find me on the Twitter at E.H. Blaylock, which, uh, oddly enough, is the same place you can find me on TikTok now. Oh, wow. Uh, Right now, uh, the only thing I have up on TikTok is a a statement in support of my teacher's union. Mm -hmm. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. But uh, they're probably because I'm a Gryffindor and thus a low-key narcissist. There's probably going to be more of me on there uh, soon. Uh, if you are looking for me on Instagram, I'm at Mr. M.R. Blaylock. Uh, and then, of course, you can find us collectively on the Twitter machine at Geek History Time. And now if somebody wants to shout specifically at you... Mm. Where would they go? Well, if you want to take a picture of your Far Side book and your favorite comic within that book, you can send it either to at Geek History Time on the Twitter or at Duh Harmony, two H's in the middle there, um, either on the Insta or on the Twitter. Uh, so that's where you can find all of that. Uh, I'd love to see it. Love, love when people share their favorites. So Yes, yeah, definitely. So All right. So for Geek History of Time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock, and until next time, keep rolling 20s.